We'll see how that goes. Matthew chapter 16 this morning. And uh, we'll begin here just a little bit in verse 21 through 26. How often have people voted for a president thinking they were going to get one thing, but they got another? Now, I mean, this happens on both sides of the fence, right? Uh, somebody thought somebody's going to come along and do a great job, and they did a terrible job. And others uh, thought that, boy, this guy's going to do no good. And they go, well, oh, okay, he didn't do so bad, right? And, but sometimes people uh, vote for presidents, and they think they're going to get one thing, and they get another. And I was thinking this morning about this, and I thought of, uh, I thought of the, and, and don't, don't go to where I'm not going with this, okay? But I thought of Barack Obama. And there, were, there was a group of people that voted for Barack Obama that thought they were going to get one thing, but uh, they really didn't, they didn't get what they thought they were going to get. Not, I, don't, get me, don't, don't get me wrong on this. Not because it was his fault, but because of what they perceived he was going to be. Okay? He did make some statements to probably lead this along. He made statements like he was going to fundamentally change America. He made some statements about hope and change and all of these things. He came across as, as the nice guy compared to the bumbling George W. Bush that many thought. And they were so ready to uh, be rid of. And this happens, it seems, all the time. You have guys like our current president who called him clean and articulate, whatever that means. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of things that went out there about Barack Obama and what some people expected from the rhetoric was not really what he was even offering. And, but it was their perception from his words. Perception. Okay. I've already quenched the spirit by mentioning Barack Obama this morning, but you're going to have to stay with me on this one. All right. There is a lady who was interviewed. She was in line getting ready to vote. And she, they said, who are you voting for? And she said, I'm, I'm, I'm voting for Barack Obama. And she said, he said the, the interviewer said, why? And she said, well, I'm not going to have to worry about my mortgage anymore. And I'm not going to have to worry about my car payment anymore. And I'm not going to have to worry about, and she had a whole litany of things that she wasn't going to worry about anymore. And now hold on a minute. Obama didn't pay for that woman's mortgage or for her car. He didn't even really offer to do that, right? It's not the role of the president, and it wasn't his role. But watch this. Some voters took what he said and believed his presidency to be something it wasn't, a blank check to pay their bills. Some looked at it and thought, well, hey, I'm, all my worries are gone. It, when this guy gets in to be president, finally, the mean old uh, conservative grouches out, and we're going to be rolling in the money, and we're going to get our due, right? Isn't what he did. It, it, you know, can I guarantee this lady probably still has a mortgage and a car payment? Yeah. Hold on a minute. It wasn't necessarily his fault. Some of it might have been because he played to that. But some of it was the fault of the one who was listening. Watch, who had a false perception of what was being offered. No, I get it. Some, some people come along and run for president like they're, like they're junior high class president. No more homework, kids. And I'm going to, you vote for me and we're going to have three day weeks. And they offer all sorts of real crazy stuff they can't really do, right? But some people listen to that and go, oh yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Do you know Christians fall into this trap? Wait a minute. No, Christians fall into this trap, not with government, but with Jesus. 
They fall into this trap. They believe Jesus came to pay all their bills and heal all their diseases, right? They, they look at Jesus as a genie in a bottle. Like if I just rub it just right, if I say the right words, if I, if I live this way or act this way or do this, I mean, I'm telling you, he's going to show up, right? And he's going to take care of all of my problems. I'm never going to have another issue in the world. No, there are people out there that actually preach this called prosperity gospel. Yeah. Now, at least they're consistent and they want all their people to have a jet like they do. I'll give them that. That's great. But hold on a minute. That's not what Jesus came to do. And watch, this trap has consequences. It has consequences. When you look at Jesus incorrectly, when your perception of Christ is not biblical, it has consequences. And the consequences are, there's really two big ones. Number one is that it hinders our walk with the Lord. And number two, it hinders the mission of Jesus Christ. You went, huh? How does that, how do, how do we hinder the mission of Christ? Well, I want to look at this this morning. The title of the message this morning is, is really simply this. Are you hindering Jesus? Is your life and your perception of Jesus hindering what he's trying to do? If you'll notice, remember last week in the confession of Peter, just a few verses before this, when Jesus said, whom do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're Elias, some say you're one of the prophets, some say you're Jeremiah. He said, no, but who do you say that I am? And Peter piped up and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, hey, that's good, Peter. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. Nobody out there walking around showed you this. But my father in heaven, he's the one who revealed it to you. And he went on to say this, upon this rock, Uh, And we looked at that, right? What is this rock? The statement that Peter made was the rock, right? Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is God who in human flesh, put on human flesh. Jesus said upon this rock, the deity of himself, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he goes on to the end of that verse and he says, now don't go out and tell anybody yet that I am Jesus the Christ. That's kind of an interesting statement, isn't it? Jesus says, don't tell anybody yet. Why? Why? Because there's some preparation for them still to come. There's, there's some preparation that Jesus is going to. His ministry, his earthly ministry is coming to a close. And Jesus is now taking this period that we see all the way up to the crucifixion from this point on as a time to really prepare his disciples for what is coming next in on 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 uh, history stage here and if you notice verse 21 of Matthew 15 look look or uh, did i say 15 Matthew 16 look what he says here it says from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. And you see here, here it is really plain why Jesus came. This is why he came. He's preparing them for what's coming ahead. What is coming? He's going to have to go to Jerusalem. He's going to, he's going to be, suffer many things from the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests. He's going to be scourged with a cat of nine tails. He's going to be uh, whi- whipped and beaten to try to get more information out of them. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be asked all sorts of questions to, conf- to, to get him to say uh, that he is, is God. There's all sorts of things that they're going to do to him. 
him. They're going to suffer many things. He says, I must be killed and I must rise again. He's preparing the disciples for why for what is coming next. Watch this. He is showing them why he came. He's showing them why he came. Why did Jesus come? Well, the Bible says he was slain from the foundations of the world. The Bible says that the blood over in Hebrews, that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. It's not possible. Their sins in the Old Testament were covered, but they were not taken away. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we know this, if salvation is going to come to us, it is what is required for the atonement is blood. Not the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of someone who is sinned who is spotless. What is required for the remission of our sins was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. If the world is ever going to be made right with God again, the blood of Jesus had to be shed. Do you notice what he said here in this verse 21? He says how that he must go to Jerusalem. You see here there's a few commas and that word must applies to what's coming in the list here. He says he must go to Jerusalem. What, is, what else is under the big must? He must suffer many things. He must be killed. He must rise again. You see, this is why Jesus came. Right? He didn't come, listen, he didn't come to deliver them from their earthly things. We're going to get that in a little bit. He came to die. He came to shed blood. He poured it out. No, he didn't, even, he didn't even spill it out. I know some songs are poetic. I get it. But he didn't even spill it out. It was all, listen, it was all on purpose. He poured it out. That's why he came. Can I tell you something? Peter didn't like this. Why? It wasn't what Peter had in his idea. What was wrong with Peter? His perception of who Jesus was. His perception of why he came. His perception of the purpose of his life as Messiah. His perception. Peter had a problem here and he didn't like it. Most Jews believed the Messiah was going to deliver them from bondage. And this is true, right? But they looked at it strictly in a political sense. They looked at the Messiah strictly on an, on an earthly and a worldly sense. See, Jesus came to deliver from spiritual bondage. But, uh, you, you know, they, they, they wanted to look at a more of an earthly bondage. They wanted Rome gone. They got sick of this Roman government over them. And they thought, yes, he's here. Finally, that government is going to be put aside. But can I ask you this? What good is it to be delivered from earthly oppression only to spend eternity in the bondage of hell? Aren't you glad God knew that? <laughs> so Jesus has made his mission clear. No, Peter doesn't like this. Look at verse 22. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Wow. Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Well, that's funny. The Bible just says all of the things that he must do. And Peter's coming along saying, no, this isn't going to happen. Over my dead body. Right? He already said he would die with him. Well, that wasn't true. He caved 
He folded in an instant when some little girl said, aren't you with him? Nope. <laughs> well, so much for dying with him, right? Yeah. Peter didn't like this. The disciples didn't understand this. They thought Jesus had come to deliver them from their Roman oppression. But Jesus didn't make his mission clear, friend. He's made it clear here. He's made it clear all over the place. I think of Luke chapter 17 when he said that the kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. You can't see it. He said the kingdom of God is within you, right? It's within you. It is here. He said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus said, I always do the will of my father. He made his mission clear. Later to Pilate, he's going to say, tell Pilate, Pilate's going to say, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, he's going to say, hey, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my people would fight. But because it's not of this world, we don't fight. He made it plain, friend, over and over and over again. He said, if I be lifted up, behold, I will draw all men unto me. And he was signifying the crucifixion, the lifting up of crucifixion. He was telling them over and over and over again what he had come to do, and they missed it. Watch, their perception of the Messiah was one thing, but the actuality of the Messiah was something different. And it's going to create a problem. Peter rebukes Jesus. Be it far from thee, he says. Be it far from thee. Don't even think of it. It's not happening. <laughs> We're not letting this happen. Yeah. He says, this shall not, this shall not be unto thee. Isn't it amazing that a human being would turn to God and say, this isn't happening. Okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. Their perception. No, they weren't totally off in their perception. Remember what it says over in Ezekiel 36. I'll read it for you. Ezekiel 36, 20 through 47. He says, For I will take you among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you unto your own land. And we see this. Israel is, is going back to the land. And then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also I will, will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Remember the disciples asked Jesus of when this kingdom was coming. Over in Acts chapter 1 verse 7, it says, When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Do you see what's on their mind? On their mind is an earthly deliverance. On their mind is, is that Jesus has come, the Messiah has come to deliver them from their earthly problems. Yeah. They believe the, 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 the prophets, how the prophets said that 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 they were going to Israel was going to be restored. Yeah. God's kingdom. We believe in a millennial reign of Christ. They understood this. 
They believed Jesus was the Messiah. They believed that Jesus' role as Messiah was to accomplish this restoration. But watch this. Before there could be any earthly restoration, there had to be a spiritual restoration. And this is why he came. See, if you deal with the temporal before you deal with the spiritual, you just give people a more comfortable place to go to hell from. See, Jesus wasn't concerned with the earthly kingdom at this point. He wasn't concerned with that. Kingdom of God, hey, the, these king, he can restore him anytime he's ready. But it isn't why he came at this point. Look at Jesus' response in verse 23 to Peter. This is rough. But he turned. I, I imagine Peter is walking behind him as Jesus was walking along, talking to them as, you know, as a disciple with the little ducklings following behind him. And he's, he's teaching them and he's talking to them. And Peter behind him says, you know, far be it from thee, Lord. Right. He said, he, he goes on, this shall not be unto thee. And Jesus stopped and he turned and he looked at Peter. He said, get thee behind thee, Satan. Jesus turned and looked at Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Yeah. You may not want to answer this, but has anybody ever called you Satan? Yeah. Jesus Christ himself turned and looked at Peter and said, get thee behind me, Satan. Was Peter Satan? Of course not. He was just acting like him. Yeah. Get thee behind me. Satan. You're standing in my way. This is what Satan does, right? He opposes. Isn't this what Satan did throughout the life? The, 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 the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ was to stand in his way. When Jesus went out into the wilderness uh, for that 40 days of fasting and Satan came to him, isn't that what he was doing? Trying to stop him from going forward. Garden of Gethsemane, what I, no doubt was, was Satan active in the Garden of Gethsemane trying to get Jesus to stop and to not go forward. He was, he was constantly standing in the way. And Jesus is telling Peter, you are doing what Satan does. You are keeping me from my father's will. You are trying to keep me from Calvary. Yeah. Now this is how delusional and self-deceived Satan is. He really thought that he could stop him. I love that. But hold on a minute. Peter comes along and makes this great statement. And Jesus says, oh, now you're acting like Satan. And he, Peter rebuked Jesus, but Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind. Get away. Get away. Notice the second thing he says to him. Not only does he say you're acting like Satan, but secondly, he says you're an offense unto me. You're a stumbling block, right? The Bible says, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. That word offend means to stumble, to make stu to stumble, like a stumbling block. <coughs> Jesus says you're an offense unto me. 
You're in a, you're, you are a stumbling block to me. You may think you're protecting me, but you're setting something in front of me to cause to, to, to make me stumble. Well, he's not going to make Jesus stumble. We know that. But he's acting like a stumbling block. Not something a child of God should act like, is it? Yeah. Notice the third thing he says to Peter. Thou savorest not the things of God, but of man. Thou savorest not the things of God, but of man. As always, Jesus knows how to look right into the heart of man and reveal what the heart really is doing. And, and Jesus said to Peter, here's what he's saying, you don't desire the will of God, Peter. Right. You desire, what you desire right now is your own earthly will. Well, it doesn't seem like a, a, a novel thing to want. It doesn't seem like a, a, a good thing to want for Jesus not to have to be crucified, for the kingdom to be ushered in like the prophet said. Doesn't this seem like a good thing? Yeah, except that's not the will of God. And any time we get in front of the will of God, we become a stumbling block. We become like Satan and we reveal that our heart is not in the will of God, but that our heart is after our own will and the will of this world. Jesus just revealed it here with Peter, didn't he? Yeah. Peter thought he was being spiritual. I'm sure he did. I I bet Peter thought that he was being protective. I I really do. But Jesus revealed that his heart was worldly and self-motivated. I want to show you here Jesus' prescription to Peter. Look at verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples and to all of them, not just Peter. This was a teaching moment for them. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now this is not salvation. This is discipleship. This is the cost of serving, not the cost of of being saved. Thank the Lord. There's no cost to being saved except what it costs the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. This is discipleship. I'm talking to you now that are in Christ. I'm, ta- I'm speaking to you. This text is speaking to those right here that have been born again of the Spirit of God and are saved. There's a cost to following Jesus. Don't let anybody fool you. That it's a bed of roses. Everybody in here has been saved long enough to know that's not right. Sometimes you've looked back and it's not true because we miss what bondage used to be like. But sometimes you look back and you go, boy, it seemed like it was easier before I came to Christ. Well, sure. All of the hounds of hell weren't after you. To quit. You got along with your flesh just fine with no indwelling Holy Spirit of God. It was just a wonderful relationship. And then God moved in and it became all chaos, right? Fighting the flesh, amen. There's cost. Look what he says. If you're going to come after me, if any man will come after me, look at this, let him deny himself. Now notice he didn't say deny meat. He didn't say deny meat on Fridays and only have fish. He didn't. 
We don't have a lot of Catholics around here, okay? They don't quite get that. Right? Fish on Fridays. He didn't say deny yourself of ice cream. <laughs> he did. Some are really. He said, watch, he said deny yourself. Now, some of these things may fall into place under yourself. But the point is, you deny you. Hold on a minute. What did Peter do when he was confronted by that little girl out by, I don't know. I say little girl. She might have been huge. I don't know. Why do I say that? That lady that was outside while Jesus was being interrogated. She said, aren't you, aren't you one of his disciples? What did Jesus warn Peter of? He said, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me thrice, three times. What did Peter do? He denied Jesus. What was he saying? We don't know each other. It was a rejection. It was a denial. It was a, we're not on the same page as, I, I don't know what this is about. Watch what Jesus is saying here to Peter and to the disciples. If you're going to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself. Like there's no fellowship left there. Notice he goes on to say, and take up his cross. What is a cross? That Roman crucifixion, what was it? It was a place of death. You see, when, uh, you know, unlike double jeopardy in the United States, uh, somebody could go to the electric chair and they could have a malfunction and they could, you know, it may not fire off and it may not work and the guy lives. You know what? He gets up and he walks out of prison and he can never be charged for those crimes again. It's called double jeopardy. You're not allowed to do that. Can I tell you, in a Roman crucifixion, there was no need for double jeopardy because if you went off to a Roman cross, you didn't come back alive. You went to die. He said, well, they lived a long time sometimes on that cross. That's why they broke legs. No, friend, you weren't coming off of it alive. Jesus said, and he isn't even to his own crucifixion yet. It's amazing all of these foreshadowing that he puts into his disciples that they miss. He said, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Not I, but the Christ that lives in me. We're told to reckon ourselves, Paul said in Galatians, to reckon ourselves dead. Take up your cross. Not only is the cross a place of death, but the cross is a place that is God's will. Do you realize the cross of Christ was the will of his Father? Hmm. This is what Satan was trying to stop him from, God's will, his Father's will. The cross is a place of death. The cross is a place of God's will. And it's God's will that we would die to self. If we're going to follow him, if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, he says, take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross, and look at this, follow me. Follow me. That's the cost of following Jesus. But notice here, secondly, the cost of following self. You see this in verse, uh, verse 25. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Look at verse 26. For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall, it, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? 
Now, there's a cost as following your own self. There's a cost to not following Jesus as well. You know, what prophet, he says, is there to gain the whole world and lose your own soul. What have you gained in this life, right? Either way, in this world, whatever you do, you're going to choose. Listen to me today. You will choose today to, 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 to follow something and somebody. And whatever way you choose, it will cost you. People say, well, I don't want to serve God. It just costs too much. I don't want to serve God. It's just crazy, uh, you know, how these people live their life. It just seems like it's too hard. It's too this. It's too that. Hey, friend, it costs you to serve yourself, too, you know. You say, I don't know, you you might get through this life just fine. You may get through life with a lot of money and a lot of things and just an easy life and kind of enjoy life and go on your way out on your deathbed and say, wow, that was a great life. That was wonderful. But friend, you still have eternity to look at. Yeah. Some people, some Christians mistakenly, mistakenly said, well, money doesn't bring you happiness. It doesn't bring you contentment. It doesn't bring you to this. Hey, listen, sometimes the world just lives a really fun looking life with all of that. But they haven't made preparation for eternity. That's where it stops. You can give your heart to Jesus and forever be with him. Or you can give your soul to the world. And it will cost you your own eternity in hell. You know what's right. Watch this. So many are following a perception of Jesus. But they're not following him. Perception. Well, I thought life was going to be wonderful. I thought it was going to be this. I thought it was going to do that. And watch, the wrong perception has a consequence. The wrong perception hinders Jesus in your own life and a wrong perception hinders His will being accomplished through your life. A wrong perception. Peter had a wrong perception. The disciples had a wrong perception. Hey, listen to me this morning. Do you know why some people walk away from God? Do you know why some people get disillusioned and fall away? Do you know why some people get bitter at God? Because they miss the real reason why He came. They don't know the real purpose of His ministry. They, they don't realize that Jesus left behind believers to continue what he started. He left us behind, right? He said, I go away to prepare a place for you. He has gone away to prepare a place. And, and, and until that day that we're reunited with him, he said, occupy till I come. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. He gave us a commission. What, what was the commission? Essentially, just to do what he already started to do. Hey, friend, Jesus didn't come to make our existence on this planet our best life now. You can go read that book all you want. Have at it, man. That's not why he came. Am I saying a Christian doesn't have a a good life? Hey, I have a wonderful life. I love going to bed at night without regrets. 
I, lo- I love going to, uh, having peace in my heart. I love having the joy of the Lord on my heart. Hey, I, 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 listen, I'm, I'm not missing out a thing. I think I've got everything. I think I've got it all. It's nothing like having a horrible day and going on a little time with the Lord and walking back from that time just as joyful as, 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 uh, as getting a million dollars. I tell you what, I, I'd try the million. I'd see what that's, I wouldn't mind seeing the difference. But uh, I'm telling you, man. I haven't missed a thing. Got more than I've ever deserved. And if you know yourself, you'll say it too. You've got more than you've ever deserved. You mean more stuff? No, I got him. <laughs> yeah. He didn't leave the Holy Spirit in us just so we could wow people with a bunch of miracles. He, and listen, hey, he didn't shed his blood on Calvary so that we could live a life without problems. It's not why he came. Jesus took up his cross and went to Calvary and shed his own atoning blood so that the human race could be reconciled back to himself. That's why he came. And if you get the wrong perception of why he came, I'm telling you, you're going to be disappointed in life. Disillusionment shows up. Bitterness shows up. Well, I did all these right things and look what happened. It didn't work. I mean, we had the kids here and we did this and we obeyed here and we did this and we did that and it just didn't work. It didn't work. Let me add this. I don't know why I'm going to throw this out here. Can I tell you, uh, as Bible believers and Baptists, we believe in the sole liberty of the believer. Amen? Uh, If you know what that means. I mean, we we believe that every man accounts to God for himself. Can I tell you something? Your children have a free will. They have a free will. Can I show show you something? The millennial reign of Christ, they're going to live, there's people that are going to live uh, that, that were... Uh, unsaved that they're going to live with Jesus ruling from from the throne in Jerusalem and they're still going to rebel at the end? Why? Because they had a heart to rebel. Some of your problems in here today, listen, they're not your parents. Your parents, some in here, they may be dead and gone. You're still blaming them. Not, Not their fault, friend. Not their fault. You have a will and you have a heart. You can serve God all on your own. Matthew 10, 24, Jesus said, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. So you really thought the Christian life was going to be something of no issues or no problems? Have you looked at the life of Jesus? He said, hey, you're not going to be, you know, the master, the disciple is not above his master. Hebrews 10, 7. Is there hope for us? Hebrews 10, 7. This one says, Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it's written of me, to do thy will, O God. That was the heart of Jesus. He said, I come to do thy will, 
O God. He's left us here to continue the work. Perception. Perception. He commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, I thought it was going to be easy. He never told you that. I thought everybody would just follow along. He never told you that. I thought if I did what he said and went and pastored a church, I mean, there'd be just thousands in a matter of six months. Yeah, I never told you that. <laughs> I thought if I fill in the blank. You know how you know what kind of heart you have when you, uh, of who you're really following? You know how you can test that? When adversity comes, when trials come, when life doesn't work out like you imagined, when people haven't responded to you like you think they ought to have, when health doesn't hold up like you hoped it would, when, do, do you, when all of these things come about you and befall you, do you walk closer to Jesus? Or does it cause you to get bitter and walk away? Maybe you're not as faithful as you used to be because life just wasn't quite what you thought it was going to be. Well, I thought it. Hey, perception. Perception. The wrong perception can hinder the work of Jesus in your life and it can hinder the mission of Jesus through your life. Do you know what marks the child of God walking with the right heart in spite of the circumstances? Joy. Joy. Does it mean we don't have bad days? Of course, that's, of course not. Does it mean we're not sad over what happens? Of course that doesn't mean that. Joy is outside of all of that. Hebrews 12, 2, looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what was the joy set before him? Well, the reconciliation of mankind, the, the, the fulfillment of his father's will, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, Joy. You know, to the world, the cross of Calvary looks like a colossal failure. That was was your king. (laughs) What a king. You'll see. (laughs) Amen. Perception. Let me ask you something this morning, Christian, and I'm done. Is your life hindering the work of Jesus? Is your life hindering the work of Jesus? You've had a wrong perception. Maybe you've gotten a little bitter. Maybe it's not where anybody even sees it. It's a a deep, deep, hidden thing of bitterness. And it shows up here and there, maybe in faith, in a little bit of lack of faith. Maybe it shows up here in your lack of trust. Maybe it shows up in a little bitterness. Are you hindering the work of Christ in your life? Have you died to self? 
Have you denied self? Is your destination, is the point of your life to follow Christ? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Can I tell you some of your disillusionment, some of your discouragement would go away if you'd remember why God saved you, saved you and what your purpose is on this planet. It'd help you. It would help you. You know, there are people that definitely have been disgruntled with every president I think that has ever came into office. Because many times, sometimes it's other reasons, but sometimes it's they had the wrong perception of what they were going to do. You know what Jesus said for us to be a disciple of his? Just follow him. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. Maybe maybe somebody's watching on live stream today. Maybe somebody's even here with us this morning. I don't know. Say, I've been in church my whole life. That's fine. What are you going to gain by this world? What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What are you going to gain? Some people try to just, their goal is to get everything. Some people's goal is just uh, to, to make life work, right? But life ends and eternity is ahead of them. And if you spend your life gaining all that you can, but leave it without Jesus, that has got to go down in the annals of history as one of the greatest wastes of time ever endeavored. You don't need more in this life, friend. You need Jesus. That's what you need. That's what you need. Perception. Perception. Why are you following Jesus? Are you hindering? Are you hindering the work of Christ in your life because of an unbiblical perception of what He is to be in you and through you? Well, Father, I'm just going to ask your Holy Spirit to do the work here made an attempt to expose your word here today. We just look to you to do that work that we can't do. Lord, I know that so many times disappointment and discouragement and bitterness and anger and all these things can come into our life against you. And a lot of the reason, most all of the reason, is because we misunderstood who you were and why you came as Peter did here. Father, would you help us not to fall into that trap and then encourage us, encourage us in these things and help us, God, not to be a hindrance 
to the work, not to be a stumbling block, not to let our perception stand in the way of you accomplishing your will in our life and through our life to others around us. Father, if there's somebody here today or somebody watching live stream that has never been born again of the Spirit of God, they've never been saved, they've never surrendered to Thee and put their faith and trust in Jesus alone, we ask Your Holy Spirit would arrest their attention even now and draw them that they would turn to You today before it's eternally too late. For what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. We have, we, have, we have no assurance of tomorrow. You said today is the day of salvation. Lord, would you work in their heart that today they'd come to thee. We thank you for the work that you're going to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. While the instrument plays, you can remain seated if you want to spend some time with the Lord. But the invitation is open. However, the Holy Spirit of God has spoken to you today. Would you respond to him? How is your perception of the Lord Jesus? Is your life hindering the work of Christ? Or are you a disciple following along behind where he goes? Have false perceptions, unbiblical perceptions of Christ brought in some bitterness and disillusionment that have caused you to back away from Him? Maybe you just need to be saved today. Whatever the need is, respond to him, would you? Say yes to him. Some who are praying can finish up. Others, you want to go ahead and stand. And we'll be dismissed here in just a moment. you're here this morning with any questions of your own eternal soul would you, would, you, would you see me at any time we can take you and show you through the Bible and show you how you can know that you can be born again Good to see everybody out this morning. Have a great afternoon. Get around and greet one another. And uh, don't forget, grab some of these on the way out. We've got to get these uh, passed out. We only have 487 more to go. So, <laughs> just kidding. And, uh, so grab those. Two weeks away. Two weeks. And uh, we'll be looking forward to that. If you could remember to put your songbooks back when we were done in a nice orderly fashion, that would be a help. I would appreciate that. All right, let's be dismissed in a word of prayer this morning. Uh, Brother Bond, would you close us in prayer?